Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spleichel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spleichel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel, and today we're happy to welcome our next guest to discuss today's topic of how valuable is your company. This guest is a managing partner of Global Wired Advisors, which is a lower middle market investment bank focused on sell-side engagements. Put a bit more simply, a company that works preparing businesses for a sophisticated sales process to ensure that they get the most optimized deal structure with the right buyer. Say hello to Chris Shipperly. Hi, Chris. Hey, Andy, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm glad you could join us. Now, before we dive into today's topic, which is how valuable is your company, let's first hear your backstory and what ultimately led you to do what you were doing now. Great, great, uh, great question. So I I will give the Reader's Digest version on this one. (laughs) And so... You know, I, I spent most of my career as a sales and marketing executive in consumer products, specifically in juvenile products and toy. Uh, so it was a fun yet antiquated industry. Um, so I was able to really see that entire industry grow and mature um, and evolve, which was which was a lot of fun. Um, so I worked for various different companies sized between 20 to 500 million. Um, around 2016 I, or 15, I was working for a company um, that uh, was based in Barcelona, I was tasked to bring their their, their uh, product here to the U.S. and really set up their brand in North America. I had about a half a million dollars worth of inventory sitting in my warehouse, and I really was just, frankly speaking, sick and tired of buyers' opinions at the large big box retailers. Uh, typically, when we would have meetings with them, conversations, it was a lot of subjective uh, reasoning. Uh, it was kind of that gut, this is how I feel type of conversation versus versus you know, let's let the data speak. And so at that point, I said, I'm ready to have that direct conversation with the consumer. So I went out and really learned Seller Central, Amazon's Seller Central platform, because that Mm -hmm. was just such a great marketplace to start. And I had about a half a million dollars worth of inventory I needed to move out of my warehouse. And so I also just dug in and learned uh, digital marketing just in general. Um, And so really, uh, what year was that? This is 2005. Yeah, late 14 and pretty much through 15. Okay. So just kind of specifically on Amazon learning optimization and keyword optimization as well as the advertising piece. And then on the digital marketing side, I, I started really digging in on on Google AdWords as well as Facebook ad management and SEO. And so um, got involved in, in a little bit of execution. But what I realized I was really, really good at was putting the right people together and really helping enterprise level businesses formulate a good digital strategy, kind of having that aha epiphany that I had um, trying to work in that traditional B2B, you know, let me try and get my product in as many stores as possible versus now let's go have that direct conversation with the consumer. So I pivoted my career at that point and became a consultant um, for, for enterprise level businesses within, within the space. 
and, and juvenile and also toy, uh, really helping them formulate good digital strategy. So how did you become, how did you get hooked up with Global Wired Advisors? Yes, great question. So, uh, so myself and uh, um, I, I actually uh, was utilizing a local. Um, I was utilizing a local digital marketing firm here to run that brand um, uh, where I pivoted. Um, you know, the Barcelona brand, and uh, I stayed in touch with them when I started my own consulting gig, and I actually sent clients their way and et cetera. And I, um, I they they said, hey, you really need to meet somebody, someone, one of our clients is really interested in uh, putting product on Amazon. So mm-hmm. um, at the time, it was my future partners. They had a private equity effort, which we which we now all have together, um, that has that owns a um, a supply business out in or in Southern Oregon, and uh, it was in the cannabis space. And so we met uh, on a pretty cold morning at Panera Bread around six a.m. and uh, started talking about this particular effort and then it quickly uh really just blossomed into hey i think there's a bigger picture here when it comes to um selling businesses when it comes to helping business owners exit and in that exit planning and exit strategy process because they also their own effort um called providium advisors that was a lower middle market investment bank focused on traditional businesses then we started talking about this space and it was it was very evident that it was lacking strong acumen and pedigree to help a successful business owner brand really go through an optimized exit so that's when i met them you know i heard that term again you just mentioned lower middle market investment bank and and that's in the same description is the company you're working with Global yeah. Wired Advisors? What, what is a lower middle market investment bank? Yeah, you know, and and without without trying to you know act like this is uh you know get too professorial, um you know financial markets always always will will tier uh you know specific assets um into um, specific markets, and so really lower middle market is just a way to describe kind of the size of an asset, and so in, in particular the way we define it is companies consumer consumer product companies that are yielding between call it five to seven million in revenue all the way up to like 60 70 million in revenue that's what we consider the lower middle market below that would be main street we hear that term a lot through the media um and below but above that would be middle market above that middle market is where you find that institutional level like the fortune 100 fortune 500 companies so what year then was it when Global Wired Advisors was was launched. And yeah, it was 2018. It was early 2018. We we really you know kind of birthed the idea and then just decided just decided that this was a good idea to to evolve and turn it into something. And it happened all fairly quickly. You know, we incorporated the company fast. Um, you know, we really set up infrastructure within you know about six to seven eight months, and we launched uh, right at the end of that summer. Um, and we launched to a pretty, pretty big success. You know, we, we really, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, investment banking and the way that they run their marketing, they, they tend to run their marketing a specific way. And, and mm-hmm. unfortunately it's a little antiquated. We decided to kind of flip it on the head and run it like it was a consumer products company. And so, you know, we did cold email legion, we did, um, some Google ads, we did, you know, things that you would traditionally find, I would say in more of kind of a consumer product company. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, we were able to get a lot of really strong uh, deal flow pretty much right out of the gate. So three, three years, 18, 19, how many companies in that time have you taken through the sales process? 
I was just looking through the trailing 12. And if I look at the trailing 12, I think we're just now approaching just over 20. Um, in total, it's been close to about, I think since 2000 and gosh, and 18, I'd have to really go back because our sales cycle is pretty long, right? When you take on clients. And then if I'm also including Providium advisors, because that was the original investment bank, right? Global was spawned from it. Um, gosh, I probably would just be throwing out some arbitrary numbers, but you know, global wired advisors itself, we've done, I think we're approaching with the current deal flow and the deal flow that's coming into the pipe for this year. We'll be approaching close to about 40 or 45 deals in total that we've done. And deals. So you are acting kind of like the broker on setting yeah. up with somebody to buy it? or how does yeah, bro yeah, broker is kind of how I would say people outside of the financial services would, would, would uh, describe it, right? Now, okay. business brokers tend to have a bad reputation. Um, they're 1099, they're passive, they're listing agents, right? And there's a, a very large distinction between how a business broker runs a process and in, in, in to sell a business and how an investment bank runs a process to ultimately get you an optimized trade for your company. This is a great episode. I mean, people who start business, most of them are dreaming of getting big and getting to the point that one day they're able to sell it and live on a beach in Tahiti. Yep. So very excited, very excited. Now, on your website, I see there are tools for immediate yeah. valuations. Yeah. What are some of those calculations that go into evaluation? And what can make a business more or less valuable? Just a couple things. Oh, wow. Great. Um, tough, tough and great question. <laughs> There's a lot there. Um, I'll say that from a from our, our specific valuation uh, tool, you know, we created that because we were meeting, we were trying to meet the market where where it is, and you know, in in traditional investment banking, you know, you, you wouldn't go to Bank of America or Goldman Sachs and find a valuation pool. That's just not it's not a it's not necessarily a, a real thing, kind of in that middle market to institutional. But you know, there are a lot of solopreneurs who are dreaming of Tahiti, and so there's a, and and you know, you, utilizing online tools is their everyday business, right? And so we thought, hey, this would be a really good way to create something, try and do what we can to put some very valuable, um, you know, in real time market data as our deals are closing, mm -hmm. as we're hearing about, hear, hearing about other deals and specific nuances of their business. Um, hey, let's, let's feed it as much data as we can and try and give some decent output. But it's still an 80,000 foot view, right? So devil's always in the details, which leads me to answering, you know, the next piece, right? You're asking about like, what makes a company valuable and what's, what makes it not valuable? Wow. Having a brand versus having a commodity. That's what makes you valuable or not valuable. And brand, so brand versus commodity. That's if I, if I boiled it down for you without having literally a series of probably two or three podcasts, I would say building a brand versus building commodity. That's exactly right. But can that brand can't be the ownership, right? So the brand has to be a product. Yeah, it has to be. Absolutely. And I mean, if you have, even if you run a service business, if you run a digital agency or you're running a, you know, now SaaS is a little bit different because you're actually running, you know, revenue kind of in an automated manner on a monthly subscription manner. And annual, but you know, if you're running a service business, um, you're still a brand, right? There's a reason why the engine runs, and if the owner is the only thing that's making the engine run, then you don't have anything that's valuable. 
you you have a cash flowing entity, but it definitely is more of a commodity than say um, than say a brand. Ogilvy is a brand, right? But mm -hmm. Ogilvy is a service based business, but it's a brand. It's recognized, you know, and it, and people want to use it because when they hear the name Ogilvy, they they attribute it to being something grandiose, right? Something more than just a pure commodity, like a service commodity. What about length of time a business has been open? Does that matter, or is it again brand versus commodity? No, well, you you got to have a little bit of prove it to me time, right? You got to have something. Uh, you got to have something that uh, that financially indicates that there is real proof that the business can 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 cash flow on its own, um, that it's sustainable, it has real staying power, um, and. Uh, you know, brand is funny. It's the subjective term, right? Um, but but we all know it when we see it. It's something that we understand from a cohesive perspective. Um, it has a message to it. That message resonates with consumers. Um, but it is a subjective piece. However, you know, you've got to have some type of history. And to get nuts and bolts with you, you know, have at least two years of history. You got to have at least two years of operating history in order to really get a strong valuation to get a strong trade. Can an e-commerce company be valuable selling other people's merchandise or does it have to be private label that they're selling their own stuff? Yeah, I would say if you're PetSmart, you can sell anybody's stuff, <laughs> right? If you're Best Buy, you know, you're extremely valuable. So really at that point, you've got to have real market share, like real market share. Um, you know, you've got, you've got retailers like Moose Jaw that were, that were sold to Walmart. Right. Um, so, I mean, you can be valuable, but you're still Best Buy's a brand, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond's a brand. All these retailers are, are brands first, and then they're selling other, and even TJ Maxx, they're a brand. It's a treasure hunting brand. Right. So you, while you're buying other people's stuff and some of their private label, it, the the brand itself is drawing you in. So if you're selling other people's product and you don't have size and scale, not very valuable. You know, what you mentioned to the PetSmart, the Best Buy, I mean, one of those things that all of them have in common as well is they're selling them in their own platform, whether it's their own store or their own website. That's Are right. you going to be a valuable company? I'm, I'm I don't know what you're going to say. I'm thinking it's no, but I don't know. Are you going to be a valuable company if all you're doing is selling on Amazon and you're selling other people's stuff? The answer is only if you are a category leader. You might, maybe. <laughs> and also the category that you're selling in. So if you're really focused, say, in pet, and you're the category leader, but you're a resale, but you're category leader, then you're you're clearly grabbing and stealing market share that could potentially be valuable. You also have a scalable um, operation. So there's real operational leverage that someone could find very valuable that could make it scale from 150 to a billion dollars, maybe in the next four or five years, maybe six years, 10 years. That's, that, that's where things become valuable if you're, if you're on another platform like that. It kind of still that's that same spirit, but you got to have real scale. But you would be much more valuable if you were selling as much or not more off your own website or, or in your own store? I would say that 
yes, I would agree with that. Especially if it's if you know if if, if the store itself, even if you're doing you know, even if you're driving lots of digital marketing activity like Google AdWords, Facebook, et cetera, to drive the traffic, yeah, you're owning all that data. That's highly valuable. But then, you know, you're becoming, even if it's within a, if it's in a category, a niche, you're not, say, PetSmart, but you're something pet. And you get to a certain size and you're starting to become a real threat because consumers are leaving Chewy or they're leaving Cut Petco to go buy from, you know, retailer brand X that might be might be smaller, but those strategics want to buy that that market share at this point. So it's all about size, genuinely. But but yes, that, then you get nuanced and you go, okay, well, what is more valuable? Of course, yeah, running everything through your own website through versus the Amazon marketplace, a hundred percent. Now, can you share a story? Anything come to mind about an evaluation that that may have surprised you recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a I got a positive and a negative. Um let's start. Took, Positive's always better to start with. Yeah, yeah. We took a business out to market. It was close to seven million of, of, of EBITDA. Uh it was in home improvement. And um we knew that it would get a good trade. Um, but uh the ultimate the ultimate deal structure, um my my three partners who all came from institutional investment banking. They've seen some some pretty sizable transactions. All four of us sat back and went, wow, we cannot believe the trade that this thing got. And so that shocked me. And it had everything we're talking about. Brand, they ran everything through the Amazon platform, by the way, because they couldn't rotate off. They had so much demand through that platform. But they started selling through Home Depot. Home Depot was just anywhere they touched, they had the Midas touch. So they went to Menards, boom, immediately started seeing, you know, uh, um, strong revenue. Home Depot, strong revenue. Home Depot now wants to look at putting them in store. It's brand, brand, brand. But we were like, yeah, it's lots of lots of business running through Amazon. So we'll see if that gets discounted. It did not. And it shocked us. And what about the, the negative story, the sad story? The sad story was um, we had we had a commodity. Uh, a commodity type um, um, business that had three different, three or four different brands within one seller central. Everything run through Amazon. They had a run rate that was um, that was sizable, uh, larger than what I just mentioned as far as the EBITDA on that last company. And our thesis was because it has size, it's going to get a lot of bids. Because there are a lot of people who want that entree into Amazon, and it was all private label, uh, and we were dead wrong. It got barely any bids, only actually one bid after sending it to 300 people that we thought were really good fits, and it ended up getting a pretty, pretty sad trade. <laughs> it got it got over the goal line, but it was not easy getting there. You know that brings up another question I have: How do your company? How do you and your company? manage people's expectations when they begin to work with you? We do a lot of vetting. And that's kind of part of that whole investment banking process versus a business broker. Business brokers want volume. And I'm I'm not here to pick on them, I promise, but it's good contrast, I think, for your audience, right? And so, you know, they're looking for volume. They want to bring in, you know, hundreds of deals into the fold. And they're okay playing the numbers games where, you know, 10% of them 
uh, 20%, maybe 30% closed. Totally fine with that. On the other hand, when you take a long-term strategic approach to your, to your client relationship, where you spend a lot of time with them vetting out their business. And before we send an engagement letter, we are going to have a conversation. In some cases, they're tough. In some cases, they're very easy, where we're going to outline what their expectations should be. And what we always say is, hey, look, this is on, this is inside the house talk, right? We're giving you the realistic view because the last thing you want to do is go to market and have the unrealistic view. However, our job is to represent you. It's not to get you the realistic view. It's to get you the unrealistic view. And that's, that's what we're going to go and try and do. We're going to try and push the envelope as much as we can. But that's where we are setting expectations. And if we're not aligned, we won't sign an, an agreement with, with a client. Is your fees based on if it sells, how much, like a commission percentage, or is it a fee for just marketing companies? It is a it is a success fee. It's a really cute marketing way of saying commission, <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a success fee. And so, you know, I'd say, you know, we charge a very small upfront, but that's really just to just to try and it's real. Honestly, it's 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 mostly to make sure that our clients have skin in the game. That's it. And I say small. It's very small. Um, you know, you're so you're ranging from, you know, seventy five hundred, and the most we've ever charged is somewhere like twenty five thirty, somewhere around that, right? So you're not talking about a, a, a large sum of money that's that's charged up front. Mm -hmm. our, our, we are fully incentivized to make sure that this deal closes. And lion's share where we make our money is going to be at the table with you. You know, you had mentioned before that if somebody's a face of it, they're really a commodity, not a brand. How can an owner that is a face of a business how can they work on removing themselves if they're thinking of of selling someday? Yeah, I mean, look, this is really mainly for service-based businesses, um, you know, because obviously consumer products, it's there is no face, right? The product is the the brand and the product, that's the face, right? So that's really not for 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 that for anybody listening that's that's brand or consumer products. I think anybody listening that is service-based, how do you get yourself out of it? Well. Typically, the owner is the business development guy, right? He's the he's the salesperson, and you got to start early hiring talent to get yourself out of the company, and to start taking slow steps back. And if you go, well, I don't know how to do that, then I'd recommend you start formulating a board, an advisory board. And if you already have an advisory board, but you haven't had the conversation, then start having the conversation. I need help. I need help formulating a good, solid, strategic plan to get me out of this business in the next two years. And then you start to execute on that. By the way, it's going to suck. I mean, as an owner, you want full control. And mm -hmm. you hate giving that control to anybody to try and run your baby. But it gets easier. You know, it's, it's an exercise. Look, we're a four-partner-led firm. That means we're four owners. And we talk about this type of stuff. And we're a service-based business, business. I'm on this podcast as an owner, right? So we're already having conversations pretty early on um, for the next five years to say, okay, you know, it's not me, Chris Shipferling, that's going on podcasts per se in the next two years. It's it's going to be some incredibly awesome talent that we're hiring inside of the firm. By the way, you're going to have to pay them really well, <laughs> right? You know, because if they're going to be the if they're going to be kind of the 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 new quote stakeholder of the business driving driving real real revenue. You got to pay them. 
Sure, yeah, no, great, great talents, not cheap. Nope, that's right. Hey, you know, I was reading a few weeks ago that here during COVID, it has been a great time to purchase businesses. Is is that true? And I guess, does that mean it's been a bad time to sell businesses as well? Um, if you're a traditional business that went through like real kind of COVID depression, yeah, it's a great time to, to find distressed assets. But e-commerce flew, like flew. I mean, it was fast forwarded by 10 years. So if you're looking to come into the this new asset class and purchase a, a digital a digital consumer product company, whether it's running through Amazon or whether it's running through their own website, you know if that's your mo. I think you're going to be sorely disappointed. The, the, all of the demand is going way up right now for those businesses, and the supply is not as is as heavy as the demand. So it's driving valuations up. But yeah, like. You know, cons uh, any any travel company, travel, leisure, um, you know, service businesses, restaurants that got nailed through kind of COVID depression. Yeah, it's a great time to pick up some distressed assets. But that's not our business because we're consumer products specifically, you know, digi digitally native businesses. So, yeah, you know, talking e-commerce, what are some things that you've seen that, that e-commerce specifically businesses might get wrong when they're trying to scale? Uh, good question. I think, you know, I think every solopreneur needs to do some, some, uh, a humility check and realize that, you know, either Google ads, Facebook ads, um, you know, SEO strategy, or even just the Amazon marketplace has gotten to a point where it's beyond their acumen and they need to hire and they need to go find, you know, an outsourced agency to take them to that next level. Um, and where they get it wrong is they, they don't have that humility and they have the hubris to, to, to actually think they're the ones that can continue doing it. We've seen that happen. I think two, they try and do way too many things all at one time. So they're saying to themselves, Oh, I need to diversify ASAP. And so they try and get into, you know, Walmart, they try and run more sales to their website. They try and set up international business. They try and set up, you know, wholesale relationships and brick and mortar. And they just do everything all at one time or way too fast. And it drains the resources of the organization. And it really drains the cash flow of the organization as well. So it's got, got being a bit more methodical, kind of actually thinking through a good strategy and just making sure that you're also, you've also got yourself fully resourced in order to do those activities. So you would recommend outsourcing your paid marketing? By the way, 100%. this question is uh, sponsored by True Online Presence, handling <laughs> yes. all of your marketing needs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I would 100, look, I mean, there is so much new capital flowing into e-commerce right now. I just had this conversation with a guy before this podcast, and we were talking about the new competitive pressure that's on the Amazon platform itself. You know, you've got a lot of these venture funds that have been raised only to buy Amazon businesses. You know, Perch just announced that they raised 775 million from SoftBank and Spark Capital, mostly debt. So there's a little bit of a nuance there, but at the same time, they are filled with a a giant coffer right now. Do you think internally they're about to have conversations that say, "I think we should go conservative with our with our PPC spend"? No, they're going. Let's buy as much as we can, and if we have to have lost leaders, we're just we're building brands right now. We're in mm -hmm. we're in brand building mode. And that's a lot of competitive pressure, both in, through in in specific categories through a lot of different 
lot of different activities right now. So yes, 110%. I think you, I think a solopreneur, you know, someone like you, Andy, who, if you started a business tomorrow, you probably, you, you obviously have the skill set and acumen to get it to a specific place, but, but, but every business owner, because you're doing more than that, you're running a lot of functions need to have kind of a, a come to insert religious figure here, <laughs> you know, and kind of sit down and go, what should I start outsourcing now? You know, that really brings me to my next question. And if you are someday planning on selling, wanting to sell your business and to retire to that island, retire to Tahiti, what, what is the best time to begin thinking about an exit plan? Day one, hands down, day one. You should be already in your mind formulating when, when you are going to exit the business how you're going to exit that business and what are your goals for that particular exit. And I would even say maybe day negative 50 when you're in your business planning mode. What about you personally? What, what motivates you personally? What, what gets you out of the bed and going in the morning? What's, what's exciting about your job or what you're doing? Man, I love talking to business owners. Honestly, there's a real passion for that. Um, I love hearing their stories. I know that sounds really cliche, and so everybody listening, please bear with me. <laughs> but it's true, you know. I, I really enjoy hearing it. Just everyone has a different everyone has a different story, and I don't want to romanticize this, but it's like a it's like a snowflake, man. <laughs> you know, everyone's different, and every single story, every single business, every single you know, every business owner has a way of of creating success, and it is so much. It's it's a it's really fun to hear how how someone took something from nothing to what we're talking about on the phone. I love it. I can see that. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's a, a very interesting. Are there any business books out there that you can attribute to your success? Yeah. Uh, Good to Great um, by Jim Collins. I read that early on in my business career. Um, you know, kind of just understanding the different levels in that level five leadership and what that really means to be that. Um, Michael Gerber, The E-Myth Revisited, uh, that was another book that I read early on, which was, you know, a game changer. Um, I'd say uh, Purple Cow was one of my first Seth Godin books. <laughs> um, and just kind of got my brain thinking differently about marketing in general. Um, and then there was some various other that just are not coming to my head. Uh, what about the, um, the Orrin Clapp books? The which one? I'm sorry. Uh, Orrin Clapp. I've never switch and pitch anything. No, I've never heard, I've never even seen those books. No. Oh, okay. I was going to ask uh, because his are really deal making, and I I thought was going to get an opinion if <laughs> some of those it's stories just, no. spring true. But, yeah, no, I think only the only sales books I I've read is like um, Jeffrey Gittimer, I think is his name. Um, he uh, he writes some decent sales sales stuff, but. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of I, I take a little bit of a peripheral approach to to book reading. I try and read things that are a bit like um, just kind of outside of my day to day, and things that I know are going to kind of stretch the brain a bit. Now, I see on your website you offer valuations for for e commerce businesses, but as well you offer them for digital agencies and, and SaaS companies. Yep. Of those three, what is the most valuable? 
Um, wow. I mean, SAS is really, really, really hot. It's a hot category. Um, those tend to fetch. If you've got a really strong SaaS business, you've got strong ARR, strong MR, um, MRR, you know, with good compounded growth. And um, you've got strong, strong tenants, uh, like you're not having to spend, a, you know, a ridiculous amount of your revenue on, um, on marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, those and you have real size to SaaS that SaaS platform plus it's got tons of scale left. Those are going to be the most valuable assets for sure. For e-commerce businesses, does it matter what vertical you're in? Yes, a hundred percent. There are specific verticals that have um, have more value than others. Just to give you a great, for instance, pet pet is pet is is really hot. Baby products very hot. Um, gift and jewelry, not as much, uh, cosmetic and beauty, hot category. So yeah, I mean, I could keep going through and tell you what's, what's better than the others. Um, but yes, absolutely. There are, there is more demand on specific categories than others. And a lot of it has to do with, um, a trend, you know, strong research within specific categories that are showing kind of future demand and, and, and forward demand. Um, travel companies in the next two to three years, swimming pool companies in the next three to four years, pool, any type of pool accessories in the next two to three years. I mean, these are going to be very hot, hot categories. And a company say they don't want to give up a piece of their sale, kind of like uh, listing your house for sale by yourself. Are there ways for companies to do that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, private equity, private equity has been poaching businesses direct for a long time and, you know, wanting them to sell just directly to them. Um, same for, you know, there's, there's been a, a, a strong uh, flood of new venture that has been raised to buy Amazon based businesses. And in even some cases, Shopify based businesses, um, they all want you to just sell direct to them. So there's absolutely a way to do that. You run into so many different issues with that. Um, one of which is how do you actually know what the true value of your business is if you only let one person do the work to try and buy it, right? Um, how do you actually That's a big run one. A That's a big one. That's huge. How do you actually run a process if you've done it, never done it before? I'm not going to wake up tomorrow if I'm in trouble and I have to go to court and I'm going to represent myself. I'm going to hire a marquee law firm to make sure I'm not in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I got to do some, you know, you're a business owner and so am I. We have some pretty complex taxes. Do you think I just, you know, go to TurboTax to do that stuff? <laughs> There's no way. I could do it myself and probably save the money of the CPA, but I want to make sure I'm optimizing the entire approach to my taxes, right? So lots of good examples. Plus, you signal to the market you're not taking it seriously. You signal to the market you're more of a commodity because you're not taking it seriously. And... um and, and trust me, if you're a strong brand and you've got real size and you could sell to a corporate strategic or a private equity firm, I mean, just know you're a minnow getting in bed with sharks. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do it. Now, if somebody's interested, how, how could the listener reach you? Yeah, pretty simple. Um, so uh, if uh, for, for a majority of us who use Google, go to Google and type in global. Wired Advisors. Uh, we're the first ones to come up, obviously. Um, GlobalWiredAdvisors.com. Uh, for the 3% that are using Yahoo and Bing, you can do the same thing. 
And then on the site, there's plenty of places to get in touch with us. You know, my email address is on there. My phone number is on there. Um, I do that for a reason because I, I want to be extremely accessible. Um, and and I'm, I'm really the first point of contact for the firm. You know, I'm the one really talking to clients at first and vetting them out. Um, and then, of course, we've got our valuation tool, which, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, nine, like a 90,000 foot view. And then if you want to have a consultation with us, we offer, you know, free consultations um, to uh, to really kind of dig in and get to know your business. So that was great. This has been uh, very informative and extremely helpful, I would think, for anybody who's thinking of selling soon or, or planning on doing so one day. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to add? I think we covered a lot of ground today, man. I, I, I can't thank you enough for having, for having us on and, um, you know, for letting global, global kind of represent itself here. And, uh, yeah, really, really appreciate your time, Andy. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Well, that is it for today. Remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Chris or Global Wired Advisors, I will put the link into the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business using Google Paid Ads, request to join the Make Each Click Count Facebook group. I have been releasing some all-new free live trainings, and more will be happening soon. In the meantime, remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing, and I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing.